Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. When I was growing up, the very first magic trick I ever saw was done by my grandfather. He was a youth minister at the time. That's how, that's how I was introduced to my, my grandpa. He was a youth minister. And he was in front of children, and he was doing this magic trick, and he would take this pitcher of water, and he would pour all the water out of that pitcher, and he'd even turn it upside down. There was no water left in there. And then he would pour more water out of the pitcher. Blew my mind. Couldn't believe it. I have no idea what he was teaching the kids, but that gave me this idea. I don't do that magic trick when I teach Jesus to kids. I do it a different way. I use a funnel and I'll pour water through the funnel and water will come out the funnel. That's how funnels work. And then all of a sudden I'll be standing next to a kid and more water will start coming out of the funnel. And I'll even, uh, there's a trick magicians do when they do the funnel trick. Sometimes they'll have a kid stand there and they'll put the funnel under their armpit and water will just come out. I'm not going to do that magic trick for you today. But the reason I know, I got you all excited. You were like, oh, he's going to do a magic trick. Uh, I, the reason I want to connect you to my grandfather through that story is um, my grandfather died. My grandfather died. And, you know, as a grandson, he died much too soon. And, you know, for my mom, he died way too soon. And anytime you are faced with a question around death, you begin asking questions. And anytime somebody dies that is close to you, you begin asking questions. Anytime you have to suffer through the pain or experience of death, you start asking questions like, Does, where is God in this moment that I am going through this suffering? Where is God when my grandfather is sick? Where, where is God that he would die? And you start asking these questions and it, it, it just snowballs into more questions like, does God really love me? Does he really even care? And if you have ever faced the death of a loved one, someone close to you, you have probably struggled with some of those questions. And I, I had to give you a warning straight off the top. If Jesus doesn't come back soon, everybody in this room is going to die. So we probably need to know how to engage with death. And we need to start asking those questions. And we can even ask the questions, the hard questions of God. I wrote down some more questions that I think people go through. God, where are you? What's going on? Where were you in that moment? Do you even care? How could this happen? What kind of God is this? This doesn't seem like love to me. What is going on? How could a good God allow me to suffer? And if you have not experienced the, a painful death in your life, you will. If you're going through a painful experience right now, I am sorry. I want to help give you some comfort. And those questions that we're going to ask, they, maybe they can comfort you. I, and if you have not gone through a death, I, you will go through a death soon. It's just part of what life is like right now. And, and God is big enough to ask us, for us to ask those questions of. I think the first question that sometimes we come to is, does God even care? And, and really, the, the God we know best is Jesus. 
Jesus is the exact representation of God to us. He tells us what God is like. He shows us who God is, what God is like. And so we get to ask the question, does Jesus really love me if he allows me to suffer? In John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, we have this story where people begin asking these types of questions of Jesus. And here's how the story starts in John chapter 11, 1 through 6. Now a certain man, this is verse 1, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary, the Mary, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not meant for death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Verse 5, this is important. We need to hear this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? Let, Let me get this right. This is what I just read. This is what I just heard. When Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he loved Lazarus, so he stayed away two more days. This is, this is not what we expect. This is, this is like a gut punch when we talk about, does Jesus actually love us? Because if you're a parent and you have a kid that's sick, the first thing you want to do is go to that kid and make them as well as possible. Even friends that are sick, you, wanna, you want to be healed. I, Nick, you may not know this, but Nick, our worship leader, is struggling with severe back pain. In fact, this last week, he went to the emergency room. He's had a surgery in the past year. Nothing seems to be helping. And I, even for Nick, I want to heal him just as quick as I could. So what I did is I got on the Google machine. I did a quick little internet research. And I, I found out by the Google machine exactly what was wrong with Nick. And um, I said, Nick, I got the answer. I Googled it. And he, he, he declined to take my help. And just a minute ago, I told him, I, got, I know why you're sick. He said, well, really, I'm looking for you know, a fix. I said, I'll YouTube it. I got it. I got it. I'll find it on YouTube. We'll take care of this. But that's our, that's our initial response. Somebody is sick. We, we want to go heal them. Jesus did not go to Lazarus. He heard Lazarus was sick. And he loved him, so he stayed two more days where he was at. I think it is a legitimate question to say, does Jesus even care? Does he love me? Does he he really love Lazarus? He didn't come. And get this, in John chapter 4, so we're in John chapter 11 now. You go back and you read John. John chapter 4 tells a story about a guy who comes to Jesus. He's traveled a long way. He gets there. He, I, I can just imagine him. He's out of breath. Jesus, I've been looking for you. You need to come back. My son is sick. And Jesus just tells the guy, it's all good. He's good. He's, he's well. And the guy goes back home. He gets home. He, the servants come out and said, You're, he's, he's better. And he says, well, when did it happen? About the seventh hour yesterday. And then he remembers. It was about the seventh hour that Jesus said, it's all good. And he believed, he became a believer. Jesus healed from a distance. So Jesus finds out Lazarus is sick. He could just heal him from across the, he can just heal from a distance and he doesn't. And he stays two more days. And then if you have never heard this story before and some of you may, maybe I'm not, you, you may not know, Lazarus dies Jesus could have healed him from a distance, but didn't. And he doesn't show up. And then he does finally go over to Bethany to where Lazarus is dead. And by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been in the grave dead four days. 
This does not seem like love to me. I think it is a legitimate question to ask. Does Jesus really love? And so we turn in our scripture and see if it gives us an answer to this question. To the man who didn't show up, who could have healed from a distance, who didn't show up and he didn't even heal. In verse 33 of this chapter, Jesus has arrived. He's talked with Martha. Martha said, Jesus, if you had been here, I sent you word. Where were you? Mary finds him. She falls at his feet. She said, Jesus, if you had been here, I know he would have lived. And he said, well, take me to the tomb. And he goes, in verse 33, here's what it says. Therefore, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and her friends who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. The scripture gives us a couple of accounts where Jesus is so angry and upset, he snorts with rage. And this is one of those accounts. He's so deeply moved. He's so angry and mad and distressed and grieved. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And verse 35, John eleven thirty-five, 35, the shortest verse in the Bible that has so much compassion in it, Jesus wept. And the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But they asked the same question. Verse 37, some of them said, could this man who opened the eyes of the man who was blind not have also kept Lazarus from dying? Verse 38, so Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Jesus is weeping. Jesus is angry. He's upset. He's grieving. He sees Mary grieving. He sees her friends grieving. And he grieves. Jesus wept. Remember, this is the exact representation of God to us. Whatever we see Jesus doing is exactly how God operates. And Jesus sees his friends who he loves weeping. And so he weeps with them. He, he does love. Anybody who grieves with someone else, at the very minimum, there is a little bit of love there. There is compassion there. But Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit, snorting with rage. He must be an ugly crier, snot crier. And that's what he's doing with Mary and with Martha over their brother Lazarus. And so the answer to the question, does he really love me, is answered in these verses. Yes, Jesus loves you. There's no doubt. And if Jesus weeps with Mary, he shows us how God does it. And so if you're suffering and you're grieving and you've encountered death and you've experienced death, you need to know God has wept with you. And every tear you shed, he has wept with you. He loves you. And so we answer the question, does he really love me? With a resounding yes, the scripture shows us. So if it's not the absence of love for the reason why Jesus did not go and he did not heal from afar, it's not because he didn't love. And so we're allowed to ask the question. Maybe it's because he just doesn't have the power to do anything about it. Maybe the reason why Jesus stayed away and the reason why he didn't heal from afar is because he is not as powerful as we've made him out to be. 
Verse 38, so Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, no, 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 no. By this time, it smells. There's a stench. He's been dead four days. Martha, I think, was a little bit of a control freak. This is how I interpret Martha. So Martha sends Jesus a message. Our brother is sick. And Jesus doesn't respond. So when Jesus shows up, Martha meets him. And she says to him, I sent you a note. I'm in control of this situation. My brother is sick. I know that if I get the doctor here, the good doctor, you will heal him. I sent you a note and you didn't show. And she says, I know if you had been here, my brother would have not died. My brother would have lived. She's asking the question, where were you? And why didn't you do it on my time? And then she says this other line. And it shows, it, I think this shows she's, uh, she is, she is, She wants to be in control, and she is just wrestling so bad. She is not in control. She said, now I know that if you ask God anything, he'll give it to you. I I think she's still trying to control the situation. You can still do something about this. Do something about this. What are you waiting for? It's the same kind of thing she did with her sister when her sister Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, and Jesus was teaching her, Martha's rushing around the kitchen, and she says, Jesus, tell her to get up and help me. I, I think she's... She loves to be in control. That's kind of how she deals with life. And this is a situation she is not in control. Martha's confused. Uh, Mary, Martha is a control freak. I think Mary's confused. She doesn't doubt the love of Jesus. And when she sees Jesus, she falls at his feet and weeps. And she says, I, I don't understand. I know that if you had been here, you would have saved him. And now Jesus is saying, roll back the stone, Martha, control. No, 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 we don't do that. There's a stench. That, that body smells. See, the body de- decays. After three days, the body has entered into decomposition mode. They would take the body like Lazarus. They would, uh, in that, there was a custom, they would lay the body down. They would wrap linen all around the body except for the head. And then they would end up wrapping the head last. And in between each layer of this linen wrap, they would put, Spices and the spices to help cover up the stench. Missed four days. This Martha was out, of, not in control. She wanted to be in control. Mary was confused. The disciples didn't know what was going on. Jesus has said, "Hey, we're going to go back, and we're going to go." And the disciples were like, "Whoa, whoa, Jesus, we can't go back there. They're trying to kill you there. If you go there," and Jesus said, "Well, we're going to go visit our friend who's sick." And they said, "Oh," and Jesus was talking about he died. And they thought he was just taking a nap. And they were like, Jesus, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. Sleep is good. And Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And so the disciples and Jesus, they get to the tomb. Jesus has a conversation with Martha. And listen to this conversation with Martha. It's in chapter 11, verse 23. Martha's trying to control Jesus, you would have healed him if you were here. Now you can do, still do something about this. You do something about this right now. And Jesus said to her, verse 23, your brother will rise from the dead. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, yes, Lord, 
Of course. I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and he who comes into the world. She said she believes, but either she believes and she doesn't understand, or she says she believes she doesn't really believe. Because when Jesus says, roll back the stone, she says, no, Lord, don't do that. That body, you see, nobody expected a miracle when Jesus showed up. The disciples didn't expect Lazarus to wake up and be alive again. Martha said she believed that he is the resurrection of life, but she didn't expect Lazarus to have life again. Mary believed, but she was confused, and they, none of them expected a miracle. And Jesus says, roll back the stone, and Martha says, don't do it. That body is stinky. It's already four days, Jesus. And Jesus said to her, verse 40, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, but I knew that you always hear me. Nevertheless, because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. There's one Puritan preacher, he said, if Jesus hadn't said Lazarus by name, everybody in that tomb, everybody in that graveyard would have started coming out. And this is, this, can you imagine the scene? This is the first zombie experience. This is the night of the dead living. Lazarus wrapped in his linen garments. Oh, let me read it. Out came the man who had died, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine that? Lazarus trying to hop out of that tomb. And they took the linen off and he was alive. I cannot imagine how this works. I can't understand it. We can understand if somebody falls into a water, they, dra- they pull them out, they resuscitate them, and that's been moments. It does not happen after, after hours, after days. It doesn't happen after four days. And you know, it said many believed. So the answer to the question, does he really love me? Well, that's answered. Yes, he loves us. He, you can see the compassion he has. He wouldn't be that upset if he didn't love. Nobody gets angry at death if they don't love the person that died. Nobody gets sad about death if they don't love the person that died. People die every day. You can go get the newspaper. You can read in the obituaries. I tell you, if you read those obituaries and you don't know the person that died, you don't care. You turn the page. But if you know that person, oh, grief happens. Jesus loves us. That's the answer. And the answer to the question, does he have power to do anything about it is, well, clearly he does. <laughs> Lazarus came out. So it's not lack of love and it's not lack of power. What in the world is going on? If it's not the absence of love, it's not the absence of power. Why did Jesus stay two days later? Why did he allow his friend Lazarus to die? Why did he allow Mary and Martha to go through that four days of grief? By day four, shock is gone and they're just in deep grief. Why did Jesus allow that? Maybe we're asking Maybe we're looking at death incorrectly. Maybe we've been asking the wrong questions. And really, when we ask those questions, we're actually asking for ourselves. We're, asking, we're actually asking because we're going through grief or we've been through grief or we're going to go through grief. We're asking because we are sad. Why are you allowing me to suffer? 
That's the real question. And it's not because of lack of love and it's not because of lack of power. So why are you allowing me to suffer? And I think we have this weird idea that um, being good means there's no suffering. And if you love someone, that means you'll prevent them from ever having pain. Well, any good parent in the world knows that's not true. Um, every, all good parents will cause their kids pain and suffering. And you look at that and you think, what is he saying? You know this is true. Even, have, have you ever smacked your kid's hand because they were going to put their finger in the outlet? You just caused your kid pain so that they would live. Have you ever spanked a child? I hope that you uh, do that correctly. But if you spare the rod, you're going to spoil the child is what the scripture says. Spankings are healthy, but they have to be done right. You're not beating your child, but you are causing them distress. And it, you know, in karate class, we teach, we teach that pain is a suggestion of a new direction. Even pet owners know that they will cause their pet. You can love your pet all you want, but if you allow, I have a dog that if we let the dog into, her name is Gracie. If we let her into where her box of dog food is, she will try to consume the entire thing of dog food. And if we catch her, she will like try to eat as much as she can before we drag her away. Her stomach would get descended. She wouldn't be able to walk. She'd just flop over because she's so full. She would eat herself until her stomach exploded. And so we tell her, no, you can't have all of the dog food. And you know, when we tell the dog, no, that causes them suffering. My daughter has a cat. And every time my daughter comes back to her dorm room where the cat lives, the cat thinks the door opens, Caitlin enters, it must be time for a new can of wet cat food. And so the cat begins crying, give me my another can of cat food. She could have just fed her five minutes ago. If the door opens and closes, Caitlin comes back in, it's time to eat again. And Caitlin tells her cat, no. And that causes distress for the cat. And the cat whines and cries, why aren't you giving me my way? When my kids were little, we were watching the movie Chronicles of Narnia. My kids were younger. And they told me that during the scene when Aslan dies, oh, I hope I didn't spoil it for you. Well, C.S. Lewis wrote a children's novel that is also good for adults. And there is a scene in there where the main hero dies. And on the movie version, it is kind of scary. And so at that point, I was told, I don't remember this, but my kids told me that we made them get up and go stand in the hallway while that scene played so they wouldn't see it. They said we could still hear it. And you know, we were trying to save them from emotional distress by causing them the suffering of telling them, no, they cannot watch it now. We want you to be emotionally distressed much later in life. My daughter, who's sitting right over there, and I did ask permission to tell this story, she got her license just a few years ago. She's 17. She thought as soon as she got her license, not immediately, not the first day, but by that second week, she thought she was ready to drive on the interstate. And we told her, no, you are not ready to drive on the interstate. And you know that caused her pain and suffering because we wanted her to live. And she told me, I'm allowed to tell that story as long as I also followed up with, she still believed she was ready at the time to drive on the interstate. <laughs> Ed Blouse. <laughs> 
can't, I got to tell this story. He's our facilities manager. I said, Ed, have you ever told your, your kids no? And they, they didn't like it. And uh, he said, yeah, when my daughter Amy was 16 years old, there was this guy that showed up at church. He was maybe 17 or 18, and he wanted to date Amy. And this guy had porn star tattooed on his neck. And Ed said, no way are you going to date that man. And he said, Amy was a little upset she was told no. But that's probably the wise thing, don't you think? Is that what Jesus is doing here? Because we're told in verse 4, I kind of read through it quickly, and I didn't spend any time on it because I wanted to ask the question, does he really love us? Well, yeah, he does. Does he really have the power to do anything? Yeah, he does. Well, maybe he gives us the answer what he's doing right here in verse 4. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said to his disciples, this sickness is not meant for death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. See, we know this. We know that good parents possess greater priorities than their children's temporary happiness. We all know this. Good parents possess greater priorities than their children's temporary happiness. Good parents possess greater priorities than their children's temporary happiness. God possesses greater priorities than our happiness. In fact, I did ask the Google machine, can you give me a list of, I don't know, 10 things God puts at a higher rank in his priority list than my happiness? You know, it spit out a list. God wants me to love and have compassion for others more than he wants me to be happy. It's higher on his priority list that I'm mature than to be happy. God cares more about my holiness than he cares about my happiness. And it's not that God doesn't care about my happiness. Every good parent cares about their children's happiness, but that is not our number one priority. It cannot be our number one priority or our children will die. Well, that seems strange when it comes to God, our Father, who allows death. Serving a higher purpose, spiritual growth and enlightenment, fulfilling one's responsibilities and duties, justice and fairness, faith and devotion, repentance and forgiveness. God cares about a whole bunch of things more than he cares about me being happy. In fact, God cares more about my eternal happiness than he does about my temporary happiness. And if God's priority is my eternal happiness, then what wouldn't he do to help me become a believer in Jesus Christ? In verse 14, Jesus says to his disciples, I got to tell you plainly, guys, Lazarus died, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. We've been asking the wrong question. We've been filling our questions, filtering our questions through our pain and suffering. We suffer and are hurting, so then we filter through that pain. We see everything with that pain and, and, and suffering, and then we ask the question, why would God allow this to happen to me? And we need to reverse it. We need to take who God is and put his promises, his priorities in place, and then filter our suffering through those priorities. God cares more about your eternal happiness than he does about your temporary happiness. God cares more about your eternal life than he does about your life on earth. God cares that you are saved. In fact, his priority is that all people would be saved. So what would God do to convince P3 
people that Jesus is really the way, the truth, and the life? What would he convince? How could he convince people that Jesus is the resurrection and life? And Jesus tells us, this is meant for God's glory so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. And what I mean by glorifying Jesus, the Son of Man, is that his power is shown, his love is shown, and people acknowledge him as Savior and Lord of their own lives. God's priority is that every person is saved. So if he can get the glory to Jesus that we would believe, he's accomplishing his greater priority. And when he said, Lazarus, come out, don't you know there were people that started believing? Because Jesus' glory was revealed. Now, Jesus' glory, I suppose, would have been revealed if he had healed from a distance. But they might have chalked that up to like, well, he took a nap and got better. That happens sometimes. And Jesus' glory might have been revealed if he had shown up in time and he had taken Lazarus' sickness away. He did that with Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law had a fever and Jesus healed her. Her fever was gone and she got up and started serving the house again. But there is no doubt in anybody's mind when Jesus raises a man dead four days, that Jesus is who he says he is. When we acknowledge that Jesus is the resurrection and life, when we really believe that, when we come around and, and our life is out of control and we're hit with things that are out of our control and it, it, we really wrestle that, as soon as we turn and we trust Jesus that he can give us life, that changes things. And when we're confused about death and we don't know what to do and we turn back and we remember that Jesus healed Lazarus, raised him from the dead, we, when we remember that, our, our confusion might still exist, but we have comfort in the fact that Jesus is the life and resurrection. We know he loves us. We know he has power. We may not understand why he's allowing us to suffer. And we may not even understand this side of heaven why he's allowing us to suffer. But we know that his priority is not our happiness, even if he cares about our happiness. His priority is that we would recognize the glory of Jesus Christ. We just sang the song, Living Hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who has set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. Studying Revelation, studying and, and leading Revelation class at Cape May, and we came to chapter 12, and it talks about Satan and how he's on the earth, and he's just prowling around. He's so angry. Well, why is he so angry? Well, one of the reasons he's so angry is because one of his main weapons against us was death, and God took it away from him. What's he going to do, kill you and you go to heaven? No wonder that Satan's so mad. So you know what he does now? Killing doesn't really affect you too much because if you believe in Jesus, you're, you get to go to heaven. You're resurrected. You, he, we believe that Jesus is the life and the resurrection. So now he tries to make us so comfortable that if we enter, encounter any type of suffering and pain, we begin to doubt the goodness of God. 
I got a challenge for you. It's a challenge from a, a preacher, Timmy Lopez. I don't know who that guy is, but man, I love this challenge he gave. Here's his challenge, and I think we should take it. Don't measure God's love by your health, by your wealth, or by your happiness. Don't measure God's love by your status or your comfort. And I threw this in. Don't measure God's love by the amount of sadness or heartache you're going through either. Instead, I challenge you to focus on God's promises when you are going through suffering. Let me go over that again. The challenge to us, in light of Jesus' answer to our question, he does love us. In light of Jesus' answer to the question, he is powerful enough to do something about it. Don't measure his love or his power based on your health or happiness. And don't measure his love and power based on your grief or your sadness. Instead, Focus on God's promises when you suffer. If you do it the other way, if you measure his love based on your happiness, then every time, every time you go through something hard, you're going to question his love for you. And every time you have pain, any pain, any discomfort, you're going to question whether he is powerful enough to do anything about it. Instead, focus on God's promises when you suffer. His promise to never leave us nor forsake us. His promise to give us eternal life and eternal joy, which is his main priority. His promise to give us life even now, if we would believe. His promise to give us the strength to endure when we experience heartache. When we experience the loss of a loved one too soon, he promises he knows what we feel, what we're going through. He weeps with us, but he will allow us the strength to get through it when we trust him. In the story of Lazarus, I wrote down several things that happened. See, with Lazarus, we have the benefit of, of seeing the result. Number one, Jesus is glorified. He heals even death and he can heal broken hearts he has the love and power and authority to do it and number one death is not the final answer Jesus is our final answer number two many people believed when this happened number three God's plan for Jesus to be crucified he was introducing introducing us to the idea that life is going to come from the tomb anyway and Jesus is going to the cross to die in our place for our sins and then be resurrected from the dead life is going to come from death God is introducing that theme to us and when Jesus healed Lazarus the Pharisees it says in verse 53 said from that moment on they're going to try to kill Jesus no matter what well that was all part of God's plan Number four, God's plan for Martha and Mary, for them to experience uh, maturity, spiritual maturity is happening. Martha, the control freak, she finds out when she's, not out of con when she's not in control, she can still trust Jesus. Mary, confused, she finds out when she's confused, she can still trust Jesus. And maybe that is what is happening with us as well. As we read this story and we have these questions answered, maybe Jesus is glorified in our lives and the the fear of death and the out-of-control feeling we have and the confusion we have maybe is even healed. And I, I have to tell you, Jesus wants to heal you right now. 
He is the resurrection and the life. He, whoever believes in him will live even if they die, and whoever lives and believes in him will never die. And he asked the question of Martha, and he's asking the question of us, do you really believe that? His top priority is to heal you from sin sickness. His top priority is you are dead in your sins, and he wants to make you alive in Christ. And he does want to heal your broken heart that he has allowed you to suffer through because his priority is not in your happiness. During the first hour this morning, we had a visiting guest and mom and that family just found out her cancer has metastasized. And she went from stage two cancer to a diagnosis of stage four cancer. And she and her family are brokenhearted. And don't you know that Jesus wants to heal their broken heart right now? He's even calling that family who visit us for the very first time to hear this story from John chapter 11 that Jesus is the life and resurrection for her right now, even if he doesn't change her cancer diagnosis. Because he loves Because he's powerful enough to do something about it. And maybe you're going through some kind of suffering right now. Maybe you're grieving. Maybe you've always filtered your pain into that question, God must not love me. But maybe now God is even now healing your heart where you will begin filtering your pain through the promise that he does love you. And he is powerful enough to do something about it. And his priority is your salvation and your spiritual health and your spiritual growth and your spiritual maturity even more than your happiness. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody that's going through grief? Well, isn't it your job now that you see John chapter 11, you see that Jesus says, I am the resurrection of life. Isn't it your job to take that person who is broken and hurting and connect them to our healing Savior? We, we asked in our staff meeting not too long ago, we said, why do we exist as a church? And, you know, our answer comes from the wall, and it comes from our website, and it says, you know, we exist to make disciples that make disciples. And that's the wrong answer. That's what we do. That's not why we do. What we do is the mission we've been commanded to do. Go make disciples. Go spread the gospel. Go make disciples to make disciples. That's what we do, but that's not why we do it. And Jacob said this line. He said, well, we exist to connect broken people to the healing Savior. And I went, oh, that is good. I said, I got to try that out. Would you try that out too? Would you start meditating on over and over in your mind why we exist as a church, why you show up as church, why you give your life to Christ? Why is your why to connect broken people to the healing Savior? When we leave this room, we say, we're not dismissed from the church. We're we're dismissed to go be the church. Well, when you go be the church, you're going to encounter broken person after broken person after broken person. And you have a job to be the church to connect them to our healing Savior, who is the way, the truth, and life. He is the resurrection and life. Tomorrow, there is a vote. Tuesday, there's a vote. Issue one and issue two. 
Issue one uh, is, is couched from the people who formed it. They said it's about women's choice. Well, in a way it is. It is about a woman's choice to be able to kill their baby whether they want to or not. If the vote goes into effect, the partial birth abortion will become legal in Ohio, which is, means they give birth to half the baby, and then they reach into the woman's womb to uh, dislocate the spine, cut off the baby's head. I'm cynical. I don't think Ohio wants laws that honor God or honor life. And I think people are fooled by the, the idea that we are in possession of our own body and that we get to choose what we do with our body. Don't you know you were bought with a price? Don't you know Jesus died and rose again and he owns your body and now our bodies belong to him? But I think, Ohio, if you're not in Christ, why would you believe that? And so I think Ohio is gonna pass issue one. It's gonna become part of our constitution. And when that happens, we are going to encounter more broken people than we've ever encountered before. It's not healthy for Ohio. I encourage you to vote no. I hope you come to the same conclusion I have. But if it passes and becomes part of our Constitution, our job as a church does not change. We will exist to connect broken people to our healing Savior, and you're going to encounter even more broken people who make decisions because they've been tricked, they've been fooled, they've been lied, about, they've been lied to, and their minds have been warped by the way of this world, and we're going to encounter those people. They're going to be broken. They need to be connected to a healing Savior. Issue two is also... <laughs> issue one is we are allowed to murder, and issue two, we get to do it with drugs. Issue two is about recreational marijuana. There is no world where this is a good idea. Colorado just did a study. It's a 20-year study. They've had recreational marijuana for a long time. You probably didn't hear about it on the news, but they said in their study, DUIs are up in Colorado. Death from DUIs are up from Colorado. Not DUIs because they're drunk, but DUIs because they're high on marijuana. Psychopathic uh, ailments are up because of marijuana. Uh, depression is up because of marijuana. Addiction is up because of marijuana. And the study says, yes, you can get addicted to marijuana. And then it ends the study. It says this. It says, uh-oh, we've made a terrible mistake legalizing marijuana. And then the next line says, it may not affect everyone the same way. Well, yeah, it may not affect you until you get run over by somebody who's high on marijuana. I am cynical. I think issue two is going to pass. And don't you know when that happens, we are going to encounter so many broken people. And it's going to be even more evident than it is now because everyone we encounter is a broken person that needs to be connected to a healing Savior. We have a job to do, church. Connect broken people to a healing Savior. One of the ways that Jesus offers us that connection is through what he calls communion. And he says, when we gather together, we need to take our brokenness and connect it to the body and blood of Christ. We need to remember his sacrifice and participate as the body of believers in the body of Christ. Paul says that when we participate in this bread, we're actually participating in the body. When we participate in the bread, we're remembering that Jesus took his body, put it on the cross. He took our sins into his body 
and gave us his righteousness. There was an exchange made. And every time we participate in communion, we remember that exchange. Every time we participate in communion, Jesus' glory is made apparent. And every time we participate in communion, we are connecting our broken hearts, our broken lives, our suffering to the healing Savior. Would you participate in the bread? Lord, we thank you for this time of communion, this memorial service where we remember your sacrifice when we remember your body broken for us, when we remember that our sins were put into your body and God punished our sins in your body so that we would not receive the punishment but receive life instead. God, we praise you that this time of communion reveals your highest priority to us is salvation through Christ, that you would be glorified. Would you take out your cup? And would you remember that his blood was shed as a sacrificial death and his blood, if you could imagine, spiritually washes our souls clean. And would you participate in the cup? Lord, we praise you because you've given us this reminder about your glory. We praise you that your sacrifice washes us clean and heals our soul and even can heal our broken heart, Lord. Even healing us when we don't understand or when we still grieve. God, you have proved to us that you love us because you died on the cross. And if you never do anything else for us, we know that you love us because you died on the cross for us because you loved us so much. And Lord, you proved your power over death by rising from the dead three days later. And if you never do anything else for us, we know you have the power over life and death. And therefore the fear of death and the sting of death is no longer permanent, it has lost its sting we now recognize that death is going to be an entryway into heaven. God, we thank you for showing us that life can spring from death by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this time that we get to remember that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been studying the I Am statements of Jesus. Today was, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is asking us that same question. Do you believe? We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.